0: I just want to let everybody know that after service this morning, there will be a cookie social out on the sidewalk uh, and over in the yard, I think, um, for everyone to celebrate, moms. And these are all lovingly baked cookies. I, I cut them all up out of the box. So it took me a lot of time Thursday afternoon to bake those cookies. No, I'm just kidding. Um, And I apologize to those of you who are gluten-free. We do have gluten-free cookies, (laughs) but I'm really not sure you want to eat those. (laughs) But, you know, whatever. Hey, we are continuing our study in 1 John, unleashing love or love unleashed. And we're in chapter 2. We're going to go through the first 17 verses this morning and John chapter, or 1 John chapter 2 really talks about the meat and potatoes, so to speak, of Christianity. And it's love. It really is. I mean, this whole epistle is just drenched with love. And it's important for us as we go through this and we talk about love that we understand what John's talking about. In the Greek, there are nine different ways to verbally describe love. Now, in the English, I say that I love my wife, that I love God, that I love my cat, but it really doesn't connote the same kind of depth of commitment and feeling. In the New Testament Greek, there are two primary words used to describe love. Agape, which is the God kind of love. It's the kind of love that is assigned to someone else, not based upon any kind of feeling or emotion or any kind of worth within the object that is the recipient of the love. It's just a giving love, a sacrificial type of love. That's the love that John is speaking of here. The second kind of love is the love that we're more typically uh, experiencing as people, and that is in the Greek phileo, or brotherly love, or the kind of love that has an affinity towards something because of some kind of worth or affection that we hold towards it. But you must understand, as we talk about love here this morning, and really the kind of love that we aspire to, that promised land that the choir sang of, is agape. It's the God kind of love. That really, we can only exhibit when we are born again of His Spirit. And we'll talk about that a little bit this morning. So there's going to be some different characteristics here that the Apostle John talks about with regards to love. And we'll begin in verse 1. He says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. So he gives us his purpose right there. He's writing this epistle so that in an ultimate sense, his readers will not sin. They will avoid the sin that so easily entangles them and causes them to stumble. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So the first characteristic here we see with regards to love is that love is forgiving. God's kind of love forgives. It does not hold a grudge. It does not account wrong. It lets it go. Now, you'll notice here that the forgiveness that God gives is based in justice. Jesus Christ was the atoning sacrifice. The blood he shed upon the cross was the propitiation It's easier to say atoning sacrifice, but it also can be translated propitiation or literally the payment for our sin. In other words, the wages of sin, which is death, has been paid by Jesus Christ. He was the atoning or the covering sacrifice for our sins. And he is our advocate. It says in the Bible that literally Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. Now, this is an important concept for you to understand if you're going to get the notion that love is forgiving. Now, I'm not going to make you raise your hand here this morning, but stop and think. Is there someone in your life here this morning that has wronged you and that you have not forgiven? That you are holding on to that bitterness, that anger, that hurt, not letting it go. There is a foundation for forgiveness in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and in the advocacy that he conducts for each one of us. So here's the deal. I don't care from this point forward what happens in your life, how far down you might fall. Jesus Christ is advocating for you with the Father. Why? Because he shed his blood for you. He died upon the cross for your sin. And so when you fall into sin and you confess it, as it says there in chapter 1, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin because of his shed blood, because of his advocacy. The enemy of our soul, Satan, He is the accuser of the brethren. He is the one who accuses us before the Father. But we have an advocate standing before the throne of God, pleading our cause, saying, no, that sin is forgiven. It is covered by my blood. And so if Jesus Christ, whom we ultimately have offended, just as David said in Psalm 51, against thee and thee only I have sinned, O God if he can be an advocate for us and for our forgiveness based upon his shed blood, how ought we also, then, to practice forgiveness? That's the target that we're trying to hit. Forgiveness is hard, isn't it? Especially if you've been particularly offended. I'm going to share uh, an experience I had with forgiveness that was Relatively hard for me, not the hardest experience with forgiveness I've ever had, but it was one of my earliest experiences with Christian forgiveness. The man who led me to the Lord became a very close friend of mine. He and I worked together, he discipled me, and we became very close friends. And his wife was from Florida. We we lived in Fruta at the time. His wife was from Florida, wanted to go back and to visit her mother appropriate. Today is Mother's Day. She wanted to go back and visit her mother, but they did not have the finances to be able to do that. I'm a single guy. I was working at a warehouse making a decent wage, and so I loaned them the money in order to purchase the tickets and pay for the cost of the trip with the agreement that they would pay me back when they could. So they went on their trip. A couple of months later, I'm at their house Apartment, and they have a brand new stereo system, and I haven't even gotten a dime back yet. And I'm like, "What?" And so I brought it up. I said, "Dave, what's going on? You know, you owe me about a thousand dollars. You had a brand new stereo system here. Well, to make a long story short, the stereo system was a great deal. It was an impulse buy, and they..." Got it on credit. And so they were even further in debt than originally had been. What was I going to do? Here's this guy. Led me to the Lord. A close friend. And yet, within me, I have to confess, I was angry. I was upset. I was betrayed. I had made this sacrifice for him, and yet, there was no repayment. So I had to decide. And I'm a Christian at this point about five or six months. I have to decide, what am I going to do? Am I going to hold on to that repayment? Or am I going to let it go and allow this friendship, this relationship to continue to grow and to build? And that's exactly what I decided to do. We remain friends to this day. I never was repaid. But forgiveness is like that because you know what? When I let go of that $1,000, I was free. I was no longer bitter. I was no longer angry. I was free. Was that $1,000 really worth the ball and chain that it was creating in my life? No, it wasn't. And that's my exhortation to each of us here this morning. If we have things with which we, we t- need to practice forgiveness, Either with people who are close to us or perhaps people um, who we're just in association with. Love is forgiving, and there is a sound basis for that forgiveness. Verse 3: We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. Strong language. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So the second characteristic here is love is obedient. And more specifically, love is obedient to the commandments of God. Jesus said to his disciples, if you love me, Keep my commandments. Now, that's not to confuse the issue of salvation. We are not saved by keeping his commandments. We are saved by grace through faith. Just simple belief in what he has done for us. But once we are saved, once we have come into a relationship with him, we demonstrate our love towards him, By keeping his commandments. You see, Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Do you believe that? Do you practice it? Because it's easy for us to say King of kings and Lord of lords. But if he's King of kings and Lord of lords, what do you do when a king tells you to jump? You say, how high? What do you do when your lord and master tells you to go? You go. Now, initially, just as a little child obeys, not because they necessarily love their parents, but because they know if they don't, they're going to get a little swat on their behind, or they're going to be banished to the corner of the room, or whatever your particular discipline might be as a parent. But ultimately, as a child, you grow into a love relationship with your parents. My wife received a lovely bouquet of flowers this morning along with a gift certificate for a free massage from our daughter for Mother's Day. Now that, it was wonderful. It was beautiful. But you have to understand my daughter. My my daughter is prodigal from the faith. She's been through an awful lot much of it through her own choosing. But she sent this, and she doesn't celebrate holidays, but she sent this with this beautiful card conveying to her mother the love that she had for her mother because all the times Christy has held in there with her, has counseled her and coached her through difficult circumstances. So that love no longer is out of fear That love is no longer out of compulsion. That love, that desire to do those things that please her mother comes from a pure and unadulterated love. And that's what Jesus is looking for from us. He says, how can you call me Lord, Lord, and yet do not the things that I command you? See, there's this disciple master relationship that we have with Him. If we are going to follow after Him, we must keep His commandments. And that is a demonstration of our love for Him. And that love emanates from, it says at the last part of verse 5 and verse 6, from our baptism in Him. It says, this is how we know we are in Him. You know, it says in John 15 that He is the vine and we are the branches. And those branches that abide in the vine will draw life from the vine and produce fruit consistent with the character of the vine. Likewise, John is saying here, if we are truly in him, if we are abiding in him, and the the Greek word there is the same, meno, it means to abide, to tarry, to remain, to continue. If we are in him then we must live as Jesus lived. We must do those things that Jesus did. We must follow those commands that Jesus gave to us. There's just no escaping it. Jesus said, you do not harvest figs from thistles. And James said, a spring cannot produce both sweet and bitter water. We have to. From our lives allow the character of Jesus Christ to flow through it, because our lives are simply reflective of our connection to Jesus Christ. That is what John is saying: Love is obedient to the Master, dear friends i 'm not writing you a new command but an old one which you have had since the beginning this Old command is the message which you have heard. And and he, he's saying, literally, this commandment to love has been given in the Old Testament. This is not something you have not heard before. Yet, I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or a sister, is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because darkness has blinded them. Third characteristic of love is love is harmonious. First, it's harmonious with the message. If we preach a message of love, then we should live consistently with that message. We ought to demonstrate love in our lives, both horizontally with our brothers and sisters and also vertically with the God who saved us. But it also must be harmonious within the church. That is what John is saying here. You ought to convey love in a very primary way within the body of Christ. Jesus said, you're to love your enemies. That's true. But within the body of Christ, it says in Galatians chapter 6, first, to the household of faith, we are to show love. And unfortunately, it's been the case throughout the centuries that Churches have not always been the best examples of Christian love. Church splits all throughout history. I don't like the way that person does that. She offended me. He said something to me that bothered me. I don't like the carpet in that church. You know, whatever. People divide and split. And John is saying, that's walking in the darkness, people. If you're in the light, you are walking in love towards your brothers and sisters. 229 times in the Bible, it talks about the fact that we are to be with, in one fashion or another, one another. And I'm going to go through some verses here. Landon, if you would put up the first one. These are just a few of the 229 verses that talk about how we are to interrelate with one another. This is John 13, 14, Jesus speaking. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet or be willing to take the place of humility and serve one another. Next, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. That's phileo. That's that affectionate type of love. Honor one another above yourselves. Again, in Romans, live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position, nor be conceited. So we are to live in harmony. Next. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. This is an important one. Stop passing judgment on one another. letting that percolate for a second. Okay, next. Accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. In other words, no divisions, but acceptance of one another, regardless of our station in life. Next. I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct One another. So God has given us everything that we need to nurture, to teach, and to admonish one another in the ways of the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Next, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Is that it? And that's just 11 out of 229. Do you think that God intends for us to demonstrate love and relationship, harmony and peace with one another? I think so. So love is harmonious. Back to the question I asked earlier. Is there anybody in the church that you're not in harmony with, that you have not forgiven. Anybody in the church that has offended you that you need to go to. Jesus said this. He said, before you go to the altar and offer your sacrifice of praise to God, go first to that brother or sister that you have grievance with and settle that grievance. Then, then you can offer your sacrifice to God. So, It very well may be that many of us who are holding grudges in our heart, who are not living in harmony with a brother or a sister, our praises, our worship may be hitting the ceiling and not ascending unto the Father because God doesn't want to receive our worship if we are not loving one another. We are walking in the darkness if we hate one another. Next, and this has always intrigued me, in the midst of all of this admonition towards agape love, John says, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. And then he emphasizes by repeating, I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. What is John communicating to us here? Why this little parenthetical section? Well, I believe it is because he is trying to communicate two things to us about love. First, in the family of God, there are going to be whole array of maturity levels with regards to God. Some children who have just learned that their sins have been forgiven, that Christ loves them, that He died for them. Some who are right in the midst of growing in the Word and and by faith taking on the enemy and triumphing over the enemy. Some who are very mature, who have settled into that deep an abiding love relationship with God. There's a whole array of people, even in this group here this morning, a spectrum of maturity, a spectrum of understanding, a spectrum of ability to walk in the light. Some of us are still drinking milk. Some of us are beginning to eat meat. Some of us have learned to barbecue well. But there's a whole thing. But but love grows. Do you get that? Do you get that from this? Love grows. You don't remain static in love. Love is constantly growing because agape is that as I said, perfect God kind of love. That sacrificial love. And I'm pretty sure that none of us arrived yet at that. And so we're growing in love. We're in, as I've said numerous times to you, a laboratory here in the church where we get to experiment. We get to practice agape love when we are offended. Jesus said, offenses will come, guaranteed. You will be offended. But that's an opportunity for you To allow the Holy Spirit within you to rise up and to practice true agape love. See, love that is reciprocated, love that makes us feel good, love like that is easy. All of us can do that. Jesus said, everybody can love their friends. He said, but you need to love your enemies. That's what I'm telling you to do. Love Those who persecute you. Love those who hate you. Love those who despitefully use you. That's the command of our King of kings and Lord of lords. So we've got to grow into that. And we need one another in order to do that. We can't do it on our own. If you isolate yourself, you will never grow into the maturity that God desires for you. I need you, and you need me. And like it or not, we are bound together in the body of Christ for eternity. So let's grow in our love. And then finally, verse 15 through 17, love is founded in God, and it is focused upon God. Do not love the world or anything in the world, If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life come not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So you read through this and you think, now hold on. Didn't Jesus say in John 3.16, for God so loved the world? That he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but would have everlasting life. True, but you must understand that in the New Testament there are three different kinds of references to world. First, there is the physical world in which we live, the planet we live upon, and the creation all around us, the physical world. Secondly, there is the world of humanity. That is whom God loves in John 3.16. He loves humanity. We are created in His image. As I've said to you before, we are image bearers. But the third kind of world, and the world referenced here, is the world that is controlled by the God of this world, Satan. The world system that is opposed to the rule and the authority of God. That's what John is talking about. And he says, you are not to love that. We are not to love this world system. If we do, then we are not loving out of the, the reservoir of the Holy Spirit or the Father. But we are loving out of our own flesh, John would say. Because everything in the world... The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life don't come from the Father, but from the world. See, this is what happened in the garden when Eve was tempted. She saw that the fruit was good to eat. She looked upon the fruit, and its appearance was pleasing. And she also noted that the fruit was desirable to make one wise. Okay, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You see, Satan has a pretty limited weaponry. It's deception and it's lust. He attacks our lust with deception, and it's going to be in one of these three areas. And if we allow, we will be called into that. James wrote to his readers that we are not to be polluted by the world. And pollution is that which invades or intrudes into something or into some place that it's not supposed to be. That's what air pollution is. It's particles that get into the air that are not supposed to be there. It's not good for the air. Water pollution, likewise, and on down. So when we become polluted by the world, we are beginning to allow things From the world to invade or to enter into our lives and to spot the holiness that God desires for us. But once we allow a little bit of pollution to come in, the Bible says, in fact, in James chapter 4, verse 4, that we can then become friends with the world. We can begin to align ourselves with the thinking of the world, with the pursuits of the world, with the desires of the world, and we become friends. And James says, if you're a friend of the world, then you are at war or enmity with God. You can't be both. You cannot serve two masters. And then finally, after we've allowed a little pollution in, we align ourselves with the world. The Bible says that we become conformed to the world. And we begin to do all of the things that the world does in the same way that the world does. And this is a spot upon the church. But it is so true that many people within the church, if you were to take a poll of their lives to categorize what they do for entertainment, how they carry out their lives legally, what they do in relationship with others, it would look almost identical to someone outside of the church. And that's to our shame and to my shame. It's because we have let pollution from the world to come in. We have become aligned with or friends with the world. And ultimately, we have become conformed to the world. John says that the love of the Father is not being proclaimed when we allow that to happen. Ultimately, understand this. The world and its desires pass away. Everything is degrading. Everything is changing. Bob Gock, and I are, Bob Gock and I were talking about this right before service. Okay, some of you will get this reference. I don't know why these past few, few weeks or months I've been giving references back to the 60s and 70s, but it just seems that that's sort of where I've been. But Gilligan's Island. Uh, uh, Okay, I'm going to ask as I always do. How many of you love Gilligan's Island? Okay, (laughs) there you go. Four o'clock every afternoon, I was in front of the television set watching reruns of Gilligan's Island. And you will remember, Ginger, a little provocative, when she would kiss the professor, the professor would get beat red. He was so embarrassed by that display of affection. Fast forward 40 years to what is conveyed relationally on television today. And how do we, and I'm preaching to myself here, how do I, as a Christian, align with what's on the television? with the, the messaging that's coming through on some of those television sitcoms. Is it godly? Is it, is it demonstrating the love of the Father? I'm afraid oftentimes it's not. I need to repent. I need to turn from that. Because the world is passing away. Its desires, they will ultimately be burned up But if you want a life that is meaningful, if you want a legacy that is lasting into eternity, then you align yourself with the will of God. And the best demonstration of the will of God is living in the love of God. Love is forgiving. Love is obedient to the commands of Jesus. Love is harmonious within the church. Love is growing into that perfect agape target. And finally, love is founded in and focused upon God. Heavenly Father, I repent here today, Lord, of so many things that I have done that have demonstrated that I have been polluted by perhaps even aligned with or conformed to the world. And that's not your love. Lord, you don't judge me. You are my advocate. You are the one who shed your blood that I might be forgiven. So I don't need to be down on myself. I don't need to beat myself up. I just need to receive your love and allow it to flow through me once again. I need to Step forward into a growing relationship with the Holy Spirit because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And all those who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons and the daughters of God. And so I pray, Lord, for each one of us here this morning that we would have that dynamic love relationship with you that we would begin to walk in love and in the light and that others would begin to see a change in us, a new reality coming from us. And that the message of Jesus Christ and his gospel would be sweetly received by all those we come into contact with. In Jesus' name, amen.